Well, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 1. And uh, John chapter 1 is a, a chapter of the Bible that's just packed full of information. And uh, we're going to seek to honor the Lord in doing it. I'm going to seek to preach this message without becoming too cerebral. It's so much here. And yet, what a great uh, story, what a great testimony John lays out in John chapter, in John chapter 1. Um, this book of John is the fourth section of what some call the fourfold gospel. Four voices giving different perspectives of the life of Jesus Christ. The four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three gospels center on Jesus' ministry in Galilee. But the gospel of John is different. The gospel of John, we see Jesus primarily um, in his time in Jerusalem leading up to the cross and the resurrection. Each of the Gospels has a different emphasis. The Gospel of Matthew speaks to the Jews. I'm speaking to those who were deeply religious. Matthew uh, shows Jesus coming from Abraham. If you read through the first chapter of Matthew, you get into all the genealogies, right? We see Jesus coming uh, from Abraham through David and demonstrates that he is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Uh, the Gospel of Mark speaks to the Romans and the leaders and to leadership. Mark's book is the action-packed gospel of the powerful ministry of Christ. Mark shows Jesus coming from Nazareth, demonstrating that Jesus is a servant. The gospel of Luke was written by Luke the doctor, who was a Greek, um, and he speaks to the Greek. Luke shows how, how Jesus came from Adam, demonstrating that Jesus is the perfect man. John, however, wrote to everyone. John shows Jesus coming from heaven. Um, the other three caught the Gospels are called the synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means um, together. See this together. Um, and, and they kind of, you, if, you, if you get a, um, um, an analysis of the Gospels where they put them beside each other, you'll see, and they just fit, 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 fit. And John is like out, 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 out until you come to the end. And then his story kind of fits into the rest of it because the synoptic Gospels all just kind of fit together. Um, there's probably some good reason for that, not the least of which John's Gospel was probably, was, I'm sure, written last. And so he had some of the information from the others, but his goal was a little bit different. So who was this guy? Because the book, he never names himself. He's called the beloved disciple. John was one of the 12. His father was Zebedee. His mother was Salome. Salome was one of the ladies who ran to the tomb at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John's brother was James. James and John, sometimes called the sons of thunder, maybe because of their exuberance. Maybe they had a little bit of a hot temper, but they're called the sons of thunder. Um, John is the same one who wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and also the book of Revelation. And before he, he had the vision and wrote the book of Revelation, he gives the gospel of John, the last of the four gospels that are written. 
It's a really interesting book because it's a book that we would use for people who don't know Christ or who are young believers. And we would say to them, just, just read the gospel of John. Start there. Start with the gospel of John and read it thinking about who is Jesus? Who does he claim to be? And, and what do I need to do as a result of reading this book? But on the other hand, the paradox is the depth of this book is incredible. And uh, one writer said it like this, the book is a paradoxical, paradoxical combination of both simplicity and depth. John has been called a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. And we're going to see that as we go through the book. We're going to see that as we go through even this first chapter. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's stand together. I'm going to read the text for today. you notice we're going to skip a few verses in the middle because that's where John the Baptist is introduced, and that's me here's job next week as he preaches the word. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Father, what an amazing passage. What an awesome expression of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, your work in sending your Son so that we could be saved, so that we could be complete in Christ, so that we could have true hope so as we look at your word today, very familiar verses, some of them. Help us not get lost in the familiarity of the verses, but lost in the awe and wonder of how awesome you are and how awesome your work is. Give us ears to listen carefully, minds, Father, to comprehend just a portion, just a, a smidgen of the truth that's here, and then hearts, Lord, that we'd be people of God living out for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. I'm going to put a quote up onto the screen that maybe helps us get some context to, um, to this. Um, uh, it was a G. a G. Campbell Morgan who said this, in these 18 verses, 
we have an explanation of everything that follows from the 19th verse of chapter 1 to the 29th verse of chapter 20. So in these 18 verses, we have the prelude, but it's more than a prelude. It's the foundation. It's the foundation of everything. Um, Sue and I were up in Muskoka a few weeks ago, staying at a motel there, and, and beside there's a building project that's been going, it seems like it's been going on forever, and the foundation is still not complete. Um, I'm not sure why, because there's still equipment there, and I'm sure they're still working, um, but I'm, I'm suspicious that it's in Muskoka, so everything gets built on rock, and you've got to make sure that you get that foundation right no matter how you build. It would seem from the pipes they're putting around the outside of it, along the way they probably hit a spring or something, and that created its own challenges. But as you look and you watch, all of this work is to get the foundation right. Because if you don't get the foundation right, you get the rest of it wrong, right? It's just a matter of time till it starts to tilt, till something starts to crack, till it, some of you live in houses where you have cracks in the walls. It's because the foundation isn't quite right. It's not that it's going to collapse or fall down, but it's just not the way it should be. And so we've got to get the foundation right. And so the reality is the foundation of this message, the big idea of this message is the only foundation is Jesus, the only foundation is Jesus. And, and John sets this out so clearly in this text. And so that's what we want to dive into. Two major points, some subpoints underneath. Here's the first thing. Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory. As we look at the text, we're going to see in verses 1 to 5, it's all about Jesus before he came to earth. Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory. And this message is for us to see Jesus and just see how awesome he is. At the end of this message, if you lose sight of how awesome Jesus is, then I failed either to deliver the message or you failed to hear what God is really trying to get to us uh, through this gospel of John. Um, we see Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory. Here's the first thing. He's constant in his glory. Jesus is constant in his glory. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, three critical statements we see about this. In the beginning. Um, Jesus wasn't at the beginning. He wasn't at the beginning. He didn't show up at the beginning. Uh, Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was before the beginning. Um, and that's so important for us to understand. It's also interesting that, um, that John obviously knew Genesis 1.1, right? Uh, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And so John is already laying the framework for who Jesus Christ truly is. Now, we're not going to see the Trinity in this text, and I'm not going to try and fit the Trinity into this text, but we're going to see the Trinity in this book. We're going to see Jesus introduce the Holy Spirit and how he's going to come and all the rest. But the two parts of the Godhead, the Father and the Son, are very clear in this text. In the beginning, God created and in this verse, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, that's Jesus. Word, the, the, the term in the beginning was the Word translates from the Greek word logos. You've heard that before. Um, 
it was interesting because that was an important thing. Um, Jewish rabbis often referred to God as the word. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the word of God. In the mind of the ancient Jews, the, the phrase, the word of God, could be used to refer to God himself. And so as John is writing, John's like, in the beginning was the word. This is why the Pharisees went nuts over what was being taught and over what Jesus was saying. Because they understood the implications of what's going on here. They understood the implications of what John was really saying about Jesus Christ. He didn't show up at the beginning. He was in the beginning, just as God is in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. The word speaks of God. The Greek philosophers saw the Logos as the power that puts sense in the world. And so as Jesus is speaking to both of these groups um, he's helping them to understand that Jesus is not just your buddy. Um, they saw um, pictures of God more as like Superman who came to do a thing. And, 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 and John said, it's not like that. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the one who was in the beginning. I read this this week. It said this, therefore, in this opening, John said to both the Jews and the Greeks, for centuries you've been talking, thinking, and writing about the word. Now I will tell you who he is. John met both the Jews and the Greeks where they were at and he explained Jesus in terms that they already understood. In the beginning was the word, was Jesus, is God. The text goes on, he says, and the word was with God. The word was with God. This is where we, we see that sense of trinity where we see the beginning of that picture of the Trinity in this text. And the word was, was with God. It doesn't mean he was alongside and separate. Um, it's talking about being equal yet distinct. They had different roles, a different function, yet one, one God. So the Father and the Son are equal together. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, yet they are equal with God the Holy Spirit, making one God in three persons. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. Um, some would say in the Greek, a better way to say it, God was the Word. It, it, it's the same thing. Um, but it's not what some people take this and make it out to be. And the word was a God. You've got to you gotta dance into Greek that just doesn't get there um, in any true or, or fair way to ever come to that statement. And in doing so, you remove uh, Jesus Christ from being equal with God. And the word was God. The theologian Boyce said this, everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about God the Son. In Jesus dwells all the wisdom, glory, power, love, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth of the Father. In him, God the Father is known. And the word was God. Colossians 1, 15 to 18 says, he is Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Paul says exactly the same thing that, that John says. 
All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Later on in the Gospel of John, um, John 14, 8, 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and is it enough for us? And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So we have Jesus Christ, the constant one. Jesus Christ, who is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is coexistent in his glory. If he's constant in his glory, he's coexistent in his glory. And again, we could go into these things forever. We're not going to today, but he was in the beginning with God. This makes the point that the Father is distinct from the Son, and the Son distinct from the Father. They were equally God, yet they are separate persons, and together they make up two-thirds of the Godhead. So Jesus Christ is constant. Jesus Christ is coexistent. I, I love this next one. Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the creator. All things were made through him. Wait, I thought God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, Jesus is God. Um, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was the word. Um, excuse me, in the beginning God created. And we have this picture now of Jesus who is the creator. The word created all things that were created. He himself, an uncreated being. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians 1. For by him are all things created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, as we already read, were created through him and for him. The text goes on and says, in him was life. In him was life. Of the word, Jesus Christ, is the source of all life. And not just biological life, but all life. Um, there was nothing. The world was without form and was void. And, and God steps in and he creates. And God works and he creates life. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. This is the first place where light and the darkness are kind of introduced here. And, uh, you know, the reality for us on the spiritual level of this is without Jesus Christ, we are dead in darkness. We are lost. Significantly, man has an inborn fear towards death and darkness. Um, in my role as the GCC Canada guy, we traveled a lot, so we stayed in different places. And Sue loves, not the darkness. She doesn't love the darkness. I'm not saying that. So don't go out of here going, Paul said his wife loves the darkness. I didn't say that. 
Sue likes it dark when she sleeps. I do, I'm just a chicken, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I still need a nightlight, right? So, um, and so, but as we travel, you're in different beds and you'd wake up and you have to go to the washroom in the middle of the night. And you'd wake up and you go, where, where am I and where am I going? So a little bit of light just kind of kept me from walking into walls and stuff because you'd be different in every place you were, right? Um, and, and so here's the thing you always know. Light always permeates the darkness. Always. When light shows up, the darkness is pushed aside. And, and so that was good for me because I'm a bit of a chicken. And so um, it says, in him was life, but the light was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ overcomes the darkness of our world. Now, that's the great hope that we have. It's also a great responsibility we have as followers of Jesus Christ. We have been given the truth in the light. And our, our job is to shine the light. Jesus Christ was the light. He was life. He was the light of man. The light cannot lose. In the first creation, darkness was upon the face of the deep. If you, if you read in Genesis, until God called the light into being. And so we have Jesus we have Jesus Christ, the one who is constant. Jesus Christ, who is the one who is coexistent. And Jesus Christ, who is the one who is the creator. Everything in him is formed and has its being because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's the picture that John is laying down for us of Jesus Christ, the incarnate, the pre-incarnate God. And then you have this little middle part in the text, which we're going to come to next, next week, where John the Baptist is introduced. But then he comes back to who is Jesus Christ in his incarnate glory. You want to take the rest of the message, taking a look at this. Jesus in his incarnate glory. In other words, Jesus on earth. Um, verse 9 says this, The true light which comes, excuse me, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The greatest picture of this that I know of in Scripture is found in Philippians chapter 2, and uh, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was informed God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ, Christ is the Lord, to the glory of of God the Father, Jesus Christ became flesh. Why? Well, we're going to see that in a second. But here's the reality. You come out to the end of uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says that because of the working of Jesus Christ, as John is setting the foundation, the rest of the book will flow out. All of this work is because one day we're going to stand before God. 
and we're going to give an account. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. He doesn't say some knees. He doesn't say a few people. doesn't say if you're a Jesus lover, your knee is going to bow. He says every knee is going to bow. That's why this is so critical. Every knee is going to bow. Yeah, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. Yeah, you are. Um, as humbly as I can say that to you, you're going to bow. And you're going to give an account of who Jesus was and what you did with the work of Jesus Christ or what you did with your own life and thinking you were something and you could get there on your own and every knee is going to bow. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to say this as graciously and lovingly as I can. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior because every knee is going to bow. And those who are followers of Jesus Christ are going to bow the knee and it's going to be a glorious thing. How awesome to be able to bow our knees, not to fall on our faces before God for how awesome the work of Jesus Christ is, identifying with what he's done and then spending eternity with him in heaven. Bending the knee will be an awesome thing. Bending the knee, if you don't know Christ, will be a fearful and devastating thing. Because you will bend the knee when you realize Jesus was the answer and you missed it. And he says, I don't, I don't know you. I, I don't know you. And you'll be separated from God in a place the Bible clearly talks about called hell for eternity. So the weight of what's going on here What's happening in John chapter 1, what's happening in the entire Bible is so that we can have life and we can have it abundantly. The word became flesh is a glorious presentation of Jesus Christ. He is the revelation. The next thing is the revelation in a hopeless world. Uh, Look back at uh, verses 10 and, uh, and verse 11. Verses 10 and 11 say, And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's the tragic story. The one who created it all, the one who sustains it all, the one who put every piece into place, he came to his own. He made it, he came to it, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people would not even receive him. It's strange. God came to the same world he created, the creatures made in his image, and yet the world rejected him. This really just demonstrates how deeply we've fallen. Um, It's a great picture. This idea of he came to his own uh, could just as easily have been translated, he came home. He came home. What he had made, he he came home. It's the exact impression of what he wanted. It's the expression of the beloved disciple in response to Jesus' words from the cross. He took Mary into his own home. That's the picture. Um, And John takes Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his own home. That's the picture of, of Jesus coming home. And so Jesus comes home and his own home rejects him. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become the children of God. But to everyone who did receive him. You know, the Bible says, um, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many people who find that every day. I want what I want. I want my plan like I want my plan. I don't have space for God. I don't have, he's not going to be on the throne in my life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Well, that's the, that's the, but all who did receive him. All who did receive him. Sometimes we get caught up in terminology and we're talking about people about trusting Jesus Christ as your savior or accepting Jesus Christ as your savior or believing. And, and I've heard people say, you, you shouldn't say, did you receive Jesus as your savior? Okay. I think we have to be careful because that can lead to the theology of, well, I found God and I did all of this work. But, but this text talks about that right? There's the working that God does. There's the part that God does in heaven that we don't fully comprehend or understand. And I, I believe all of that, but I also believe there's a part in our salvation where we make a decision, we act by faith. And truly it says right in the text, but as many as received him, have you received the finished work of Jesus Christ? John is saying, like, this is so foundational because so much that we're going to learn comes out of this. We, we talked about believing. It says that in the text. Not just believing mental assent. Remember the pictures last week of those crazy people hanging off the CN Tower and those crazy people walking on the glass thing out over um, down in the uh, Grand Canyon? And, and I can have mental assent that that harness will hold me. And, and I can... Look and see people walking on that glass walkway. Still can't even fathom why people would want to do that. But um, it's not enough. It's not mental assent. This text says, this text says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in, believed in his name, who, who transferred their trust, who found their hope in Jesus Christ. This is the accomplished work of our redemption where Christ has satisfied the wrath of God where he did what we can't do so we could have eternal life with him forever. Now look, what the, look what the next verse says in verse 13. I love how he does this. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Three things you don't want to put your hope in. Not by blood, not by my family, not by my ancestors. I, I think of your kids and, and having them here and praying for them and seeing them and praying for the day they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. So when I pray for our grandkids every day, it's not by blood. It's not, they don't get into heaven because their grandpa was a preacher. They don't get into heaven because their mom and dad put their faith in Christ and they just kind of dragged along the way. It's not by blood. And so if you're here today and your hope that you're going to be okay before God is because of your, your family heritage that was a wonderful godly, praise God for that, but that's not what gets you into heaven. It's not by blood. It's not by blood. Then he goes on and says, not by the will of the flesh. It's not by trying harder or working more. It's if I, just, if I just accomplish this one more thing, kind of, if I can just serve another group in our church, if I can just, then I'll be okay before God. It, it, it is not by the will of flesh. It's not by the will of man. It's not a human decision. 
It's not if I've got it figured out, I'm going to figure out how to get to heaven. It's not like that. It says, but it's of God. It's of God. And for those of you who love to study theology, I love the clash of the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. And believe me, if you ever get the solution, you write the book because nobody has really got it all figured out yet because we're not God. Right. All I know is God is in heaven. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all that there is, and I don't. But I'm not going to limit God. I want God to be God. I want him to be on the throne. I want him to be sovereign, and all kinds of Bible verses about him, about that. But, but then I have this side that I understand, that I need to believe. I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I absolutely believe that there's none righteous, not even one. No one seeks after God. And so anyone who gets saved gets saved because God does what God does. But I have to believe. I have to receive Christ. And that's the challenge for me as I think about this text, as I preach this to you today, is have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you come to that place where you've put your faith and your hope in him? And, and if you can't say you have, then today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. And if you can say that, say, yeah, no, I've done that. Then this day for you is like, woohoo! We win. I have, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm with him. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to live for his glory. I'm going to live for his fame. That's why these verses can be uh, hard for us if we're in the church. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? You're supposed to live out for the glory of God that others would see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ because of what he's accomplished. But if you've never trusted Christ, admit that you're a sinner. You say, who do you think you are? No, we're all sinners. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Transfer your trust from, I thought I could do this. I thought I could figure it out on my own. And I can't figure it out on my own, Lord. I need you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done and be saved. You can do that right now, right where you are. Verse 14 says, I'm just going to go through the rest of these verses now. But it says, and the word became flesh. And the word became flesh. We already read about that in the in Philippians chapter 2 passage where he came and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But um, see, here's the reality. Is, as John is writing this, he's writing to the world. He's writing to a, a group of people. He knows who his audience is. He's writing to the Greeks who thought too little of God. God is just like a superhero. He comes in and he does his thing, but he's not God Almighty. He's not on the throne. He's not sovereign. He's just kind of like a superman. And, uh, and so you have your Zeus's and all of the, and your Hermes and all those guys. And um, John told the Greek thinkers, the Logos, Jesus Christ, the word, he made and ordered everything in the universe. He's way more than you think he is. The word became flesh. The Jews generally thought God too high, not too highly of God. Can you think too highly of God? The Jews tend to think that God was out there unattainable. You couldn't get there. And, and, and John addresses both of them when he says, the word became flesh. For both of you, the Jews and the Greeks, God has come close to you in Jesus Christ. You don't have to struggle to find him. He has found you. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us, the text says. He dwelt among us. Now, another way you could say that, the Old Testament, the Jews understood this, is he tabernacled among us. 
Um, the tent of the tabernacle, the Old Testament picture, the place where God was. He, he tabernacled among us. And so as he's saying that, there dwelt among us, we would kind of have the idea of, well, so he came and he was just like part of our group. No, no, no. He was the center of our group. He was the focus of our group. When Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us, this is God visiting us, God on earth. The tabernacle was many things that Jesus is among his people. He's the center of Israel's camp. He's the center of our camp. He was the place where the law of Moses was preserved in the Old Testament. Jesus is the center of all of the truth. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. The tabernacle was the place of revelation. It was a place where sacrifices were made. It was the center of Israel's worship. And so Jesus Christ came and he tabernacled among us. He lived among us, but he was the center of everything among us. You understand the weight of what John is trying to say to them, how important Jesus Christ is, how awesome Jesus Christ is, and how unlike you he is, and how much you need to pitch your tent around him. Another quote they can put up on the screen, Spurgeon said this. He said, if God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, let us pitch our tents around this central tabernacle. Do not let us live as if God were a long way off. Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and are tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. I love that because as he's getting ready to finish this first a part of the chapters, he's kind of finishing the prologue. As, he, as he's finishing the part, it's like everything else now flows out of this as we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Even in the text today, we've seen his glory that he was the preexistent one. He is the creator of all. Do you see his glory? Do you see his glory in that he came and you were hopeless and didn't deserve anything and yet he came and he gave his life so you could have life, that you can bow before him one day and say, he is the king. And he'll say, welcome into my kingdom as a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you see his glory? And what difference does it make? What difference does it make today? What difference does it make tomorrow? The world is in a free fall slide into the pit of hell. We've seen his glory. We have the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. We've seen his glory this word is not some idea of I glanced at or I looked at. This is I have carefully studied the glory of the word made flesh. In verse 15 it says it's full of grace and full of truth. Jesus said I am the way, the truth. But Jesus Christ is the one who was so gracious, so hopeful for us, giving us what is unmerited, what is undeserved. In verse 16 says this, um, for him, for from him, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand this a little bit. How you receive grace upon grace. 
You're, you're, you've, you've trusted Jesus Christ, your hope in Christ, your, your, the, your salvation is secure. But as you stumble along in your faith, as you grow up in Jesus Christ, you see how you fall down and, and you get up again and all the rest of it, but you see God's grace because he lifts you up and he moves you on. We have grace just poured out upon grace. I'm so thankful for that. You, know, you think of the text, how many times should I give, forgive, you know, 70 how many times? 70 times? Seven, 490 times? Okay. Yeah, well, I, I surpassed that a long time ago, right? But, but grace upon grace. God's grace just keeps pouring out. And, and that's the reality of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The foundation that's laid in this text is for us to understand we have grace poured out upon grace. Upon grace. Verse, verse um, 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Was he saying the truth didn't come through Moses? Was there no grace in the Old Testament? No, there's so much grace in the Old Testament. There's so much truth in the Old Testament, but all of it's pointing towards what Jesus Christ has done, right? Moses brought the law. The law demonstrated how we failed. The law demonstrated how we cannot reach God. The law demonstrated there had to be a better way. The law demonstrated without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And Jesus accomplishes all of that, and he's just filled with grace and truth. And if you're here today and you say, I've never trusted Christ, but if you only knew how wicked I was, how messed up I was, grace is yours. A gift from God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what Jesus Christ has done. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he offers to you grace and truth. And then we come down to uh, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Wait a minute, didn't you just spend the last 40 minutes telling us that Jesus was God? Yep. But no one's ever seen God in all of his fullness. We've seen a glimpse of God in Jesus Christ in his humanity as he's come. There is so much more that will be revealed for us in eternity. So he's not saying Jesus isn't God in this in all of his fullness or the essence of God. We've never seen all the fullness of his knowledge and for eternity we'll be seeing that and understanding that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is the, at the Father's side. Wait a minute. God, who is at the Father's side? Jesus Christ has made him known. And the rest of this book is Jesus Christ has made him known so that we might believe. And by believing, we might have eternal life. These things are written that you might believe and that by believing, you will have life in the Son. Well, so what? So what? Follower of Jesus Christ, these verses are the foundation on which everything John will write rests. It should impact us significantly. I was thinking of this and I came up with the word gobsmacked. I was like, where'd that come from? I don't know, it just came into my head. We should be gobsmacked by the reality. So then I had to look up synonyms. We, we should be awestruck. We should be overwhelmed. We should be left in wonder. We should be bewildered and amazed. We should be wanting more. This is the Jesus Christ who is being introduced in this text. And follower of Jesus Christ, be in awe of the awesome Savior we have in Jesus Christ. And now live out of that for his glory. Because we have the hope of eternal life. 
And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, so what? Today is the day to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Jesus is the only foundation. Jesus is the only hope. A world out there rejects it, denies it, but your spirit is alive and working, working in our hearts today, working in hearts of people around our world who are sitting under the, the listening of the word of God, the power of your spirit. Father, you are the only foundation. You are the only hope. And John sets that so clearly so that we can now look and see Jesus and believe and be used for your glory, for your fame. So lead us, Lord, today. Encourage our hearts. Guide your church. Be our strength. Do what only you can do. For the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things in his name.